Good morning and welcome to Grace Toronto Church. My name is Lyndon, one of the pastors here. And at this point in our service, we're going to turn our attention to the reading and preaching of God's Word. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we are going through a series on the Beatitudes, meaning uh, blessing, the blessings of God. And um, they are surprising blessings. They're surprising because what we find, uh, as the song was just sung, blessed are hungry people and thirsty people and people in need. These are the ones who God calls blessed. And today we are into uh, the sixth verse of our passage. And to help us with the reading, Kathy. From Matthew 5, verses 1 to 6. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What are you hungering for? What are the things that you most desire? What do you really want? It's an important question, and it's a question that Jesus often asks those who follow him. What do you want? And in some ways, it is the question, because what you want will determine what you do and who you become. For what do you hunger and thirst? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And is there any guarantee that the things that you're presently thirsting after will bring you satisfaction, that career change, that new position, that promotion or publication, that love interest, that opportunity. What is it for you? And will it bring the satisfaction that your heart longs for? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus' words here are an invitation to us this morning to reconsider the things that we really want, the deepest desires of our hearts, the things we long for, the things that we love, the things we live for. It is an invitation for you this morning to consider your hungers and your thirsts the things that drive you, and to question, will these things satisfy? Are these the kinds of desires that I'm living into that were made to be satisfied? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you'll know that The word blessing here that's promised, the the, the promised blessing here is not a matter of one's internal sense of being blessed. It's not the same thing as 
fleeting happiness. That's not what Jesus is saying here. And actually, in the Bible, we find that the tables have been turned in terms of who's blessed and who's not. The rich and the comfortable are so often throughout the scriptures exposed as those who are cursed by God, even in their apparent blessing. And the poor and the mourning are so often exposed as those who are called blessed. And I should mention that it's only for the rich, it's only in their identification with the poor that they too find this blessing. You think about a prayer of King David, for I am poor and afflicted. It's in even the riches, the rich person's identification in poverty and affliction and struggle that they too find themselves under the blessing of God. So what is this strange blessing that's here promised? As we've said in previous weeks, the blessing promised here is a state of holistic well-being under God. That's one way of getting at it. To be blessed is to find rest, to find peace. Life itself, what Jesus calls life to the full or life abundantly. Which can take place even in the midst of trials and troubles. Rest, peace, even in the very situation in which you find yourself today. Wouldn't that be nice? If even in the midst of your present work and worries, you could find the rest and the peace of God. To find yourself happy, happy in the Lord, even in the midst of trials. This is the blessing here offered. It is the blessing of God. Holistic wellness, beginning now and to be fully realized in the life to come. But now, who are these blessed ones, we need to ask, according to this week's beatitude or blessing? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, it all sounds very pious, doesn't it? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, like a good monk, you know, a good pastor, priest, or pietist, off in a cave somewhere, perhaps, worshiping and praying, casting off the interests of the world in order to go to church meetings and do church work and charity work, busying themselves, burying themselves in all the right, righteous things. But is this what it is to hunger and thirst after righteousness? By this definition, the Pharisees would be those who hunger and thirst, praying and tithing and singing and working, how hungry they look. Look how badly they want righteousness. Look at all their good works and all of their sacrifices. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness indeed. But perhaps this righteousness that we're to hunger and thirst after has nothing to do with religious observance or moral perfection. Perhaps it instead has to do with what Paul calls the righteousness that comes not by works of the law, but comes through faith. This is the way Paul speaks about it, and the way many Christians are familiar with the term righteousness being used. It's an explanation of the good news in Jesus, 
that though not one of us is righteous, not one of us is morally clean, Jesus lives a perfect moral life for us, dies for us, takes the penalty of our uncleanness onto himself so that we sinners can be made righteous so that to hunger and thirst for righteousness then is to hunger and thirst to be made morally clean by Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In this perspective, it's those who want to be made morally clean. Morally clean, who will be blessed. And while that's true, okay, while that's, um, that's certainly one message in the Bible, as theologian Don Carson and many other theologians explain, the problem with this view of righteousness here in this passage is that Matthew nowhere else uses the word righteousness for personal moral perfection, the imputed righteousness of Christ, as some would call it. So then, we're left with the question still, what then is this righteousness? Well, in the Old Testament, righteousness... Tzedek is the word. It's a word used to describe rightness, fairness, justice. It means equity, bringing about personal and communal prosperity. It is the making of all wrongs right. So in context, then, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are not those who simply hunger and thirst for personal piety or to be personally righteous people, but instead, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who hunger and thirst for all wrongs to be made right by God, under God, to the glory of God. It is to hunger and thirst for unjust powers to die. For every superiority complex to be put to death, whether white supremacy, sexism, racism, or any other damnable ism, it's to hunger for sex slaves and all slaves to be set free, for the millions displaced in our world to find home. It's to hunger. For a deep justice to be realized for those most impoverished, most marginalized, most oppressed. For what do you hunger? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A few years ago, our staff team went through uh, what's called the blanket exercise. Maybe some of you here are familiar with it. It's a learning tool that's been created to teach Canadian history from an indigenous perspective. Blankets are laid out all over the floor, and the blankets represent the land inhabited by indigenous peoples. We are invited to stand on the blankets, spread ourselves out, representing the indigenous people living in the land, inhabiting the land. And then a facilitator begins to narrate to us the story of European settlers coming into contact with us, 
those who represented the indigenous people in the land. And as the story proceeds, as you can imagine, blankets are folded, made smaller and smaller, representing lands taken and lands left through treaties and disease and war. And what we were left with by the end was tiny, scattered and folded blankets with relatively few survivors left. It was a, a, a powerful display of history gone wrong and deep and profound injustices done. And it isn't difficult to see a direct correlation between Canadian colonialism with its treaties and residential schools and other corrupt and vile practices and the present plight of indigenous peoples in our own day. These are often hurting communities. And the correlation is not difficult to see if we will just look. And we could go on and talk about other injustices in our land. Early Chinese settlers and the overt racism that they were met with. We can talk about black people making their way into the country and the forms of segregation that, uh, that's uh, taken in Canada. We can notice effects of slavery and then segregation and then mass incarceration and then continued racist policies across North America, keeping black families from owning homes, getting jobs, going to the right schools, living in the right neighborhoods. And is it so surprising then that to this day, to this day, the black Canadian population is way overrepresented in prisons, in housing, and generally in poverty, and way underrepresented in white-collared professions and wealthy neighborhoods. Is this all mere coincidence? And perhaps you'll say to all this, well, that's not my fault. That was then... This is now, and that would be sorely missing the point. The point is, there are people in the history of our own country who have experienced profound, profound injustices, a deep wounding, the effects of which don't just disappear. It is generational. And the question is, do we even care? Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for wrongs to be made right? Or are we content to turn our eyes away and get back to filling our bellies and filling our homes with the good things that we really want? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is a mark of the blessed people of God. They hunger, they thirst for righteousness, for every valley to be raised up and every mountain leveled to the ground, made low. Or in the words of the prophet Amos, for justice to roll down like a river, for righteousness to flow like a never-failing stream. How hungry are you for righteousness to reign? 
Whether you're a Christian or not, religious or not, wherever you're at, how hungry are you really to see righteousness reign? Beginning with moral purity in your own life, love for your neighbor, care for the poor. How badly really do you want to see the people around you flourishing, especially those most marginalized? Would you be willing to risk your own comforts for it? Now, I understand that it's easy, quite easy, to stand with the moral majority in our country, in our day, and to pay lip service to justice issues. And so often it remains at the level of talk. But as the Apostle Paul tells us, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And this leaves us with some daunting questions. Do we as individuals, even as a country, have the power to overcome all the wrongs done to indigenous people in this land? Do we have the power to overcome all the wrongs done to black Canadians in our history? And what about other injustices? What about women trapped in the sex slave industry, even in our own city? What about untold, unborn children aborted? Can all things be made new? (laughs) It seems impossible. And yet, as people made in the image of God, we hunger and we thirst, at least in some measure, for God's righteousness to reign, even while knowing, as Jesus says, we will always have the poor among us. And so we, together, hunger and thirst, mourning stolen lands and residential schools, oppression all in the name of progress. We hunger and thirst, Mourning displaced peoples ripped apart from families and from cultures, lands setting off unbroken chains of generational brokenness. We hunger and we thirst, mourning untold babies aborted. We hunger and we thirst, mourning sex slavery, sexism, sex and porn industries which commodify women's bodies. We hunger and thirst for wrongs to be made right. And yet, it's important to recognize that in all this, that it was precisely human hungering and human thirsting that got us into this mess in the first place. Humans hungering and thirsting for power and prestige, for land and luxury, More product, more property, more prosperity on the backs of slaves laboring in land stolen and land captured. And it hasn't stopped. We're all still hungering and thirsting for power and prestige, land and luxury. And all the world can be suffering so long as I find myself comfortable, well-fed now. This is me. 
And I would love to stand here and tell you it's not. And that I've escaped all this. But I haven't. There are pressing needs all around me. But what am I willing to do? If it costs me anything, quite often, nothing. I find myself hungering and thirsting for all the wrong things. What about you? If we're honest, who are we kidding? We don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for the things that will bring me pleasure, me security, bring me happiness and respect, me justice, me favor and opportunity. We hunger and thirst, all right, but not for righteousness, not in any deep way, but for our own comfort, security, and pleasures. But there is good news for people like you and like me this morning with all of our disordered desires. There is good news. It's the good news proclaimed at the very heart of the Christian story that there is one who hungered, who thirsted for the righteousness of God. There's one who laid aside every comfort, who didn't just talk about freedom for slaves and the oppressed. He didn't just talk about hope for the marginalized, but he lived among us, befriended us, the lost and the poor, a friend of sinners, he's called, an ally to prostitutes. He came to save first an oppressed people group called the Jews, and then only After that, the wealthy nations beyond. He prioritized the lowly. And then for all, both poor and rich, oppressed and oppressor, he carried his own cross. Through jeering crowds up a humble hill, outside of the city to be crucified. In order that poor and ruined sinners like us would be brought home to God in order that a new kingdom would be established, injustice eradicated, and every wrong to be made right. In Jesus Christ, our God is revealed to be a God who hungers and who thirsts for righteousness. He gave his life to see In the words of Amos, that justice would roll down like the river. That righteousness would flow like a never-failing stream. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And the only reason that this is true, the only reason we can be given any kind of a promise like this, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied, is because Jesus, the righteous one, The righteous one stands in our place, in the place of the unrighteous. He hungers and thirsts for us, is broken and bloodied for us, that we might be forgiven and made new. A few points of application. If you're here and you're not a Christian, Hear clearly 
the invitation of Jesus to reorder your desires. He is the only one who has the power to overcome our darkness and make us right with God. Would you come to him and trust in him, follow him? He is the only one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness with every bone in his resurrected body. And he welcomes you to be reconciled to God and then made a minister of his reconciliation in the world. Second, if you're here and you're a Christian, what does this all entail to hunger and thirst for righteousness when we consider the suffering of oppressed and marginalized peoples in our own land? How do we even begin to face such complex injustices? It's a daunting question. What might hungering and thirsting for righteousness look like for us here in this time, in this place? Well, to start, as a beginning, it will look like mourning with those who mourn. Not being indifferent to ravished communities and to injustices of our past and of our present. It will look like advocating for the prospering of the poor. Advocating for the prospering of the marginalized. In our voting. In our policy making. In our personal lives and relationships. It will look like listening to the poor. The disenfranchised. Minority voices. Too often... We only really listen to the voices of those who are like us inhabiting our spaces. And when we live and work in spaces where the poor and marginalized are not the majority voice, guess whose voices we are listening to? It's not the poor. It's not the poor. It will also look like putting our money where our mouths are. Something that makes me very uncomfortable. There's something I'm also aware that many of you have been a wonderful example to me and something that many people in this church have done beautifully well, and I praise God for that. Still, as I recently read on a friend's Facebook post, too many of us are too comfortable serving the poor behind the soup kitchen line, but are not willing to sit at the table. And so our hungering and thirsting for righteousness will also look like reaching across age-old barriers, divisions across skin colors and bank numbers, across neighborhoods and through front doors. It will mean reconsidering the people we invite into our homes and the people we don't. It will mean engaging with sometimes very broken and very difficult people. And not only to help them, but also that we would be helped by them. Ours is a world filled with unrighteousness, deep injustices, impossible problems, irreparable damages, but can all things be made new? It's a question 
To which Jesus replies, in his resurrected body, a bold and impossible answer, Behold, I am making all things new. Now, not all wrongs will be made right in this life, but there is a day coming, says the Lord, when all things will be made new. The prophets called it the great and terrible day of the Lord, when all wrongs will be made right and justice will roll down like a river. Righteousness, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you as children who bear your name and confess that we have not always borne your name well. We confess our own lacking of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We confess our own oppression, even oppressions done in Jesus' name. And we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask for your help. And we ask that you would make your church a repentant people who move toward those in difficult places. That you would raise us up and send us out to be ministers of reconciliation. That we would mourn with those who mourn. Father, that we would be those who seek your righteousness personally and corporately in all the world. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, at this time, I'm not sure how much time we have for questions. We have some time for questions, I guess. Um, This is the time where we open it up. If you have questions about uh, the sermon, about the text that we've been engaging with, This is your time. You can text in questions as well. I probably won't get to them because I think there's already a few. But if somebody has a hand up, if somebody wants to ask a question, I'll give priority of place to you. Yeah. Oh, is that a hand? That's not a hand. Okay. (laughs) He was literally going like this, putting his sweater on. Okay. Okay. My mistake. Okay. No hands. All right. I'll go to the phone. Okay, here's a question. It says, is it safe to say that, uh, that the satisfaction that's spoken of here is sanctification? Okay, I recognize that I didn't spend a lot of time elaborating on what satis- this promise of satisfaction means, right? Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Um, my, my hope was that my description of what it is to be blessed would kind of cover that. Um, so I would say, is, it sanct- is satisfaction the same as sanctification? No. Sanctification would be part of it, okay? God making us new, renewing us as people, but the blessing is more far-reaching than that, okay? To, uh, to be satisfied refers to ultimately we're going to be satisfied because all wrongs will be made right in the new kingdom. Christ came to establish a kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. 
There's going to be a new kingdom established here on earth, and this is what all of history is moving towards. This is, this is our hope, that all of these desires will be satisfied one day in the new heavens and the new earth. Maybe in addition to that, you could say uh, the satisfaction that we're promised here also has ramifications for now, to experience the peace of God, to actually rightly order our desires to the things that God's heart is for. Uh, this is all encompassed in terms of the satisfaction that's promised. Okay. Yo, Linden. All right. Yo. I always thought this passage spoke about inner righteousness, that people hunger to be inwardly righteous and exemplify that to, uh, that to the, wrong, uh, the world. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, that's part of it. Personal righteousness, I want to say that that's part of it, but that, that's, that's not... Uh, when, Ma- when, when Jesus is speaking, especially in the context of Matthew and the way he uses um, the word for righteousness in Matthew... Uh, this is an Old Testament wrongs being made right. Now, now, will all wrongs be made right in the world uh, as long as people have dark hearts and personal righteousness is not taking root in us in a way that's very personal and deep? Well, no, certainly not. Uh, so these things are certainly related. Right? Um, uh, a good place to start in terms of righteousness is the righteousness that comes through faith that Paul talks about elsewhere. Trusting in Christ, knowing the mercy of God toward you in a way that's powerful and actually moves you out to be merciful to the world around you. The problem problem is that so often it stops there. People experience the mercy of God in Christ. To me, great, I'm forgiven, I have peace with God. And whether or not that actually plays itself out in the world and extending mercy to others, hungering and thirsting after righteousness as it's going on in the text is an open question. Uh, which then begs the question as to whether or not we've actually received that mercy in a way that's true and powerful. Okay, I'll do one more. Okay. All right. Is it right to pray for God to change the desires of our heart? Yes. Okay, but it goes on to change us to hunger for righteousness. Yes. How do we respond when we've prayed this prayer for years? Okay. But continue to be full of pride, greed, and it seems hopeless to pray for God to change our hearts. We just seem to never change. Oh. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Um, it's good to know that our Lord is patient with us. God is very patient. He's very patient with people who are full of pride, like myself. Um, and we should keep praying for it. Yeah, we should. It's, it's right to pray. It's right to desire that our hearts would be rightly ordered. Um, and a good place to begin, again, the, 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 the heart of the Christian gospel is not a message of do, 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 right? Um, be better, get rid of that pride. Uh, The heart of the Christian message is gospel. It is an announcement, a proclamation that God has already done all that we might be renewed. Um, So it starts there. We we pray, we hunger to be transformed, uh, and yet transformation is not going to happen by our own list of things 
to do and not to do. It'll happen as we believe more. This is the work that Jesus says that he's given to do. When people ask him, what, what must we do? You know, he says, uh, the work is to believe. Right? Um, to believe in him. And to know the goodness and grace of God in Christ is a transformative knowledge. It's a power. And to that, we'll turn now. To the table that Christ himself left his followers with. A table where he provides himself. He offers himself, his own body, his own blood. So that throughout the, the whole life of the church, in some ways even before that in Israel, but in a different way, um, in Christ we're offered this broken body symbolized in the bread, this blood spilled out with the wine, and that we as a community of God's people participate in this meal together. One of the most powerful social phenomenons that happened in the early church concretely was that all were invited to the table. You had masters sitting next to slaves being served the same meal in the same way. The rich and the poor, beautiful. This radical equality that became, that, that came to belong to the people of Christ. And it's this meal that we get to share in together right now. This meal that proclaims to us Christ's body, a God who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, even in a way that he lays himself down, that we might feed on him, be nourished and given life. It was on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed that he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. A little later, in much the same way, he took a cup and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim together as one body the Lord's death until he returns. The way we do this here is we invite all baptized believers to participate in this meal with us. Uh, If that's not you, we're glad you're here. And we just ask that you pass the plate, consider some of the prayers in the bulletin, and uh, consider what it would be to trust in Christ, to receive his own body and his own blood for you. All of the bread is gluten-free. The wine is red. The grape juice isn't. I'll pray and the table will be open. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, That through Jesus' life-giving death and resurrection, we're offered life ourselves. Resurrection life. And ask that you would commune with us now by your spirit, even as we feed on this body broken and the blood poured out together in faith. Commune with us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.